Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Valley Life. My name is Adam Young. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Valley Life and just want to welcome you as we continue our series in the book of James. Now, we're going to be in James chapter 3. So, uh, believe it or not, we're halfway through and uh, would love for you to join us in James chapter 3. Now, while you're turning there in your Bible, there's some Bibles underneath your seat or the one in front of you if you want to use those or you can scan this QR code and follow us along in the Bible app. Um, I've been kind of feeling a little jealous lately. Um, Dustin does such a good job with object lessons. If you are new with us, Dustin is our other co-lead pastor here at Valley Life. And um, so I thought it was about time that I did an object lesson. Now, here's the deal. Uh, Two weeks ago, Dustin gave a great lesson using a yardstick. Now, I'm not saying it's a competition, but if our object lessons were to play rock, paper, scissors, I'm just saying... Uh, That was actually for Dustin. Dustin's out of town. Uh, The Wagley family got the opportunity to go and visit their oldest son on homecoming week while he's in college. And so he's actually in the airport listening and watching right now on our uh, Facebook live stream. So that one was for him. But um, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the phrase, work smarter, not harder. Uh, Now, I've been in Colorado 15 years, but originally grew up in Oklahoma And uh, that's a phrase that ranchers and farmers use a lot. I didn't grow up on a ranch, but a lot of my family members uh, own ranches. Um, And so there's just that saying, whether it's in farming, ranching, or anything else in life, work smarter, not harder. This is how I like to start fires, uh, because I like to work smarter, not harder. And so I have the ability to start fires in a lot of ways, but this is more fun and makes more sense to me. Uh, My eight-year-old, however, loves to start fires with this. Um, This is uh, more of like a survival tool, a flint and steel that just uh, makes sparks. Uh, He loves to use it because it's cool and uh, because he watches people on Alone do it. Um, As a matter of fact, not too long ago, we had a fire and he successfully started the fire with this. Now, There's also a little secret that I showed him, and that's uh, you take cotton balls and you dip them in petroleum jelly, which is really effective at starting fires with a little spark. But um, afterwards, he was like, man, I wish they had a kid's version of Alone. And uh, he just loves the idea. This takes more effort, more time, more uh, concentration, but it's a little more fun for him. Um, I think in Colorado, we know more than anyone um, what a spark can do. That with just one little spark, um, an incredibly great fire can be started. We've witnessed it. uh, We've experienced it. Some of you, tragically, have been a little too close to experiencing it. But uh, this idea of something so big and powerful, starting from something so small, is really what James is going to be talking to us about this morning. And so we're going to turn and look in James chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. So here's what I'm going to do, and this is usually what I do. I'm going to read through all the verses that we're going to cover this morning, and then we'll go back and just dissect it in smaller sections and talk about what James is really trying to communicate. So starting in James chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. 
if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James is going to be pretty direct, pretty straightforward with what he wants to communicate in this section of his letter. And so let's go back by starting in verse 1. And uh, this part is pretty self-explanatory that teachers and church leaders are going to be judged with greater strictness. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That should cause all of us a moment of pause before stepping into a leadership role. However, while it should cause us a moment of pause, this is not a discouragement away from stepping into leadership or the ministry of teaching. As a matter of fact, Paul, uh, in his letters, when talking about church leaders, um, said that it's a noble task that you aspire to. It's something you should desire to, just one that we should know what we're getting into before we jump in. I actually think this is sort of the key to the rest of the passage. I think this reveals to us why James is going on this tirade about our speech and our tongues. And the evidence from the rest of chapter 3 and I think in chapter 4 really reveal that there was probably an issue going on in some of the churches that James is writing to that he wants to address. That maybe there were some leaders or teachers, whether they had been promoted to the, by the church or maybe they had self-promoted, and there was some inconsistency in what they said in front of people and maybe what they said behind closed doors, that with one part of their mouth they were praising God and talking about the glories of God, and with another part of their mouth tearing people down. So let's, let's keep going. Verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, and also able to bridle his whole body. So why is being judged more strictly a concern? Well, because James is a realist. Because all of us have struggles. None of us are perfect. But then James makes this subtle connection here that he's going to be not so subtle about in the upcoming verses. And he says, James here, using a little hyperbole, says, if you can control your mouth, then you can control every other part of your life. This is a big issue for James, and this is not the first time he's brought it up. If you remember back from chapter 1, about five, four weeks ago, we talked about similar issues where James brought it up again, that we should be slow to speak and slow to anger and quick to listen, that what we say matters and we should choose our words carefully. Let's keep going. 
Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue has so much power. Just as a small bit in the mouth of a horse can control its entire body. You can direct its entire direction. Just as a tiny rudder can move an enormous ship wherever you want it to go, James is going to make the case and the argument that our mouths can direct and can change the direction of our life. What we say matters and not only can it change the direction of our lives but can change the direction of someone else's let's keep going how great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness the tongue is set among our members staining the whole body setting on fire the course the entire course of life and set on fire by hell Just a small spark can cause such an enormous fire. It's true in your life. We know it physically here in Colorado. Thank goodness this year was not like other years. So so thankful for that because we've experienced and we understand the power of the destruction. Here James makes this connection to staining the whole body. This is a theme, I don't know if you've caught, that he's been doing since chapter 1. Talking about being undefiled and unstained, and then talking about those who are stained. About having these clear markers in our lives. I think we've said it just about every single week that we've been going through James. That while Paul teaches us what the gospel is, James teaches us more so how the gospel impacts our daily life. He wants to show us how we should be transformed by the gospel and how it should be evident on the outside. And so he uses this this idea of being stained or unstained sort of as, as like a physical example of whether or not the gospel is making its way out into your life. Can other people see the gospel at work in you? Let's keep going. James 3, verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I think in verse 9 here, we start to maybe get a connection to verse 1. Paul, uh, excuse me, James' warning that we should not be too quick to be teachers and church leaders recognizing that we'll be judged more severely. Because with our mouths, we can speak of the glory of God 
And then with the same mouth, curse those who are made in His image. This is why we should be careful about stepping in or putting our place into positions of authority. This is why James says teachers will be judged more strictly. Our words can be life-giving or they can bring about death. They can bring the death of someone's self-confidence, someone's self-worth, the death of a dream or a hope, the death of someone's trust, someone's commitment to the Lord. I mean, I would hope all of us in this room have lived life long enough to know the ridiculousness of the children's phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I mean, even as a kid, when we said it, we knew it wasn't true. It was just a front we put on so that people wouldn't think we were hurt by their words. Words can breathe life and words can bring death. One of the greatest injuries that a child could suffer in life, perhaps none more lasting and powerful, are wounds caused by words from a friend or a teacher or a parent. If we could look inside of everyone in here, if we could look inside to who you are and then watch a playback, a replay of your childhoods, for some we would find that the challenges that you deal with today, the self-doubt, the low self-esteem, the identity uh, issues that you wrestle with, have their roots back in words from your childhood. Something somebody said to you that tore you down, that stripped you of hope. Words can be so powerful for the good and for the bad. And here's what James would say. And here's why it's it's something that we just cannot allow because when our words aimed at others tear them down and hurt, we're doing it to people who are made in the likeness of God. Because the person that we aim our anger and our frustration and our disappointment to are people that are made in the image of God who bear His image, who God has created uniquely and specially. And sometimes our words attack the very things that God uniquely and specially put in their life, in their personality, in their skill sets. How could in one breath we praise God and in the next, me- in the next words... and? The next thing out of our mouth is that we curse what he made. James says, this cannot be. If you believe in the gospel, if the gospel has taken taken root in your heart, how could we in one breath praise the creator and then curse his creation? 
today, maybe more than any other time in history, words can be even more damaging and lasting. Because today, a lot of what we say is with our fingers. And those are words that don't ever disappear. Even if later on down the road, your political opinions or the things that you used to believe are positions you no longer do or are so passionate about, those words last. Not only do they last even longer than we want them to, but they're a source of continual frustration and hurt and division. When you say something audibly, someone hears it and they might remember it, but that's the last time it's said. When we post it online, every time someone reads it, it's like we said it fresh again. Social media has become a place where people will say things they would never say in public. They would never say to someone's face because you can be a lot braver behind a screen. And those words hurt. So here's what James does. We've already gone through all 12 verses. We went quick. Now I want you to think about the 12 verses we've talked about. What did James command us to do or not do? Actually, nothing. He didn't have any commands. He just kind of goes on this tirade about how dangerous words are. But actually, I think in the creative way that he writes, we can actually see what the commands are. I think most of us can just pretty much understand what he's trying to imply. But he doesn't actually come out and say, don't do this or do this. He just wants us to see how dangerous words are. And he does a couple creative things to draw our attention, and really make us look inward as opposed to outward. First thing he uses is hyperbole. He's going to exaggerate to the fullest extent to make his point clear. I mean, at one point he says, if you can control what you say, you are perfect. You can control your whole body. You are a perfect person. Hyperbole, a little bit. But he's trying to emphasize just how important and how powerful our words are and how challenging it can be to control what we say. And then at one point he says, no human being can tame the tongue. So if he wasn't using hyperbole, you'd be like, okay, well, that's discouraging. And now it's kind of pointless that you went on this tirade because I can do nothing about it. But his point is trying to make all of us stop so that no one of us could escape today thinking, I've got that one solved. Yeah, 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 I've got some things to work on. That's not one of them. James would be like, no, 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 no. If there are other things in your life that you still need work on, then this one hasn't been conquered yet either. He doesn't want to let any one of us leave today without examining ourselves. The other thing he's going to do is use some simile and metaphor. He's going to remind us how such a small thing can have such enormous and powerful effects. 
Just as a tiny little bit can control this enormous animal. Just as this tiny rudder can direct an enormous ship. Your mouth, your tongue, while small compared to the rest of your body, can direct everything about your life. And then finally, he provides us with some contrast. And here's where I think his application really comes down. Which one are you? We get, we get these contrasts, the separation, okay? It can't be both and. It's sort of an either or. He's, he's drawing out this dramatic contrast so you and I are forced to say, in what camp do I fall? So he uses these contrasts that from the same mouth could come blessing and cursing, these total opposites. Um, how could a fig tree bear olives? Well, it can't. How could a grapevine produce figs? Well, it can't. And uh, I didn't highlight it here, but how could a spring produce fresh and salt, salt water? Well, it can't. So he asks us some simple questions so that we would examine ourselves. If there could only be two camps, which camp would you fall into when it comes to the use of your words? Would you fall into the bad, harmful, death-giving words? Or the good, helpful, life-giving words? Now fortunately, we're not taking a quiz and no one has to raise their hands. So we're not asking anyone to reveal what they think is in their own hearts at this moment. But if you had to put yourself in one of the camps, which camp would you put yourself into? Now, let's make it harder. What if, what if your spouse were to answer for you? He said what everyone was thinking. <laughs> what if I asked your kids? If I asked your kids, you can only choose one camp. And which one does this parent, your mom, your dad, what camp do they fall into if they could only be in one? No, no, no. Parents, I get it. I'm a parent, right? It's not intentional. Just trying to help them see how the real world works. Just trying to help them grow up. I'm better than my parents were with me. It's a million excuses. But it doesn't change whether we're breathing life or death into our kids. What if I were to ask your coworkers? You only get to be put in one camp. Which camp would they put you in? What if we ask the people who follow you on social media? And a repost or a retweet counts, even if you didn't write the original words. Based upon the activity you have online, would people say, you're someone who breathes life into others? Or you're someone who brings death into a situation 
or a conversation or a debate or an issue? What would they say about you? Now here's what James is doing. James is picking up on an idea that his own brother Jesus taught. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 10. And this is in response to a controversy. He, he called the people around him. He called them to him. And he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. See, there was this debate. The religious leaders of the day were trying to discredit Jesus. I mean, weren't they always trying to do that? Uh, and, and they would use anything. Last week, we looked at how they tried to discredit John the Baptist because he didn't drink wine and he didn't eat bread. So they, they used that as a reason to discount him. And then they looked at Jesus and like, oh, he eats bread and drinks wine. So, uh, you know, he, he's a drunkard. So they discredited Jesus for eating and drinking. They discredited John the Baptist for not eating and drinking. Like it didn't matter. They were just trying to find excuses to write them off. And then at this point... They're trying to write Jesus off because his disciples don't ceremoniously wash their hands before they eat. I'm hopeful that they physically wash them, but just not ceremoniously, okay? But for whatever reason, the Pharisees saw the disciples not washing their hands properly and said, oh, their hands are dirty, therefore the food's dirty, it goes into them. Now them, as human beings, are dirty people. So we don't have to pay attention to them. We can write them off. They're irrelevant because they're spiritually dirty people. So this is how Jesus responds. It's not what goes into the mouth. It's what comes out of the mouth that makes someone clean or unclean. He's going to go even further. A few verses down, he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach is an expelled? That's kind of a funny way to say it, but uh, he, his point's clear, right? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. The reason this is such a big issue is because our words are a reflection of what's inside. They reveal what's really deep down. Our, lie, our, our words can be life-giving or they can bring about death. And the scary thing is, is that represents what's deep down in our heart, which is why James makes this a gospel issue. This is why if you believe and embrace the gospel of Jesus, that he lived a perfect life as the Son of God, that he died on the cross in place of you and your sins, and to prove that he was who he said he was, to claim victory over sin and death, he rose on the third day. If this is true and you embrace it, the Bible teaches that it transforms us from the inside out. And so James said, therefore, we should pay attention to the indicators that tell us what's on the inside. If our words tell us what's on the inside, then they matter. Because they're speaking to our hearts. Are your words life-giving? Or do they bring about pain and hurt and death and doubt in others? And with that question, I want to pray. Lord Jesus, 
I think we can all recognize with James that we are not perfect. And the way we speak to and about others is not something that we have mastered. And we recognize that what we say is a reflection of what's in our heart. And So Lord, the work in our heart is not done. We have not arrived. We need You and Your grace to continue working in our hearts and our lives. So God, by Your grace, would You give us this moment to to really self-examine our hearts. To ask ourselves some tough questions about who we are. About what's on the inside. And Lord, by Your grace, would You help? I'd like for You to keep your eyes closed for a minute. Because as you're reflecting, as you're thinking about your own life, about the ways in which God is speaking to you today, there's two points that I'd just like to remind you of that'll help us respond. The first is, and I don't know if you caught it, but in James, in verse 8, James said, no human being can control the tongue. No human being. And we don't see it in the English, but in the original Greek, it's actually a redundant phrase because he's trying to highlight how no human being, no one, no human can control the tongue. And that's why we so desperately depend on the Lord because it is through the power of the Spirit that we can grow. Not by our own strength, not by our own might. We are dependent on the Spirit. And so if there are places in your heart or in your speech today that you feel convicted over, this is the time to ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Spirit, would you help us breathe life into those around us in all circumstances, in all situations, in all speech, in all conversations, would we be known as those who breathe life into others? And then finally, for some of you, you have yet to embrace the gospel. You have yet to confess the truth of the gospel and allow it to transform your hearts. And let me, let me tell you about the power of words. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Today you can use your words to experience life transformation. If you believe in your heart, the truth of the gospel. And if today you will use your mouth to confess Jesus as Lord of your life, He will come in and do a work in your heart that you can't do on your own. And this is a moment for you to say those words and to give Him your life. We're going to have a moment of response. It'll be an opportunity for you to sing if you feel so led. 
You could stay seated or get on your knees to pray. Our communion table is available in the back. If you'd like to take the cup and the bread that represent the story of the gospel, his death on the cross for us. And then maybe there's uh, someone in this room who you need to pull aside. And you might need to say, I'm sorry. You might need to say, I'm sorry for the way that I did not breathe life into you and into this conversation or situation. And this would be a great moment to confess that and make that right and to repent. Lord, thank you for the ways in which you move and speak in our hearts. Would you continue to do that work right now? Where we need to be challenged, would you challenge us? Where we need to be encouraged, would you encourage us?